The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 388. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning to you, good afternoon to you. Guess what, Noah? It's a big show. We got a big show. Also, uh, holler out to our chat room over at jblive.tv who joined us this Friday at a 3 p.m. Pacific. We're getting started right on the dime today because we got a big show coming up in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We're going to review Ubuntu 15.10. A couple different flavors of it, tell you what's new, if actually anything is new, where the changes are, and if it's worth an upgrade or maybe worth a switch. And a couple other neat things that have snuck in there you probably haven't heard about. Plus, in the news segment, we're going to talk about some big controversies around Canonical, Ubuntu, and Kubuntu. We'll also tell you about a big event going on this weekend. You still might have a chance to live stream. And talk about the Alienware Steam Machines going up for pre-order. And right here in my hot little hands, I have the new SteamOS controller. We'll be talking about this, how it performs, how it feels, how it works under Linux, and what you need to know if you're going to buy this $50 controller for your PC. It's rather interesting, and it has Linux-first support. I'll tell you about my first impressions with the new Steam controller. But no, before all of that, you know what it is? The Picks. It is The Picks this week, and we're going to start with a Runs Linux that's been coming in for a couple of months. People have been sending it in, not saying, hey guys, this runs Linux. They've been saying, hey guys, does this run Linux? Because if this does run Linux, you've got to feature it. Well, we've done some digging, some sleuthing, as it were, and uh, we have determined that, yes, indeed, the Daiquiri Helmet runs Linux. If you don't know what the Daiquiri Helmet is, you're about to find out. This is the first time that all these ideas and technology have come together in a product that can change the world. It combines an array of cameras, so the computer vision sees 360 degrees, an industrial-grade inertial measurement unit, so it's resilient even in low light, and a high-resolution depth sensor for precise tracking and alignment. Well, what the Daiquiri Smart Helmet allows the worker to do is take work instructions and augment data or information right on top of the actual work environment. One of the most powerful features is the ability to integrate live data from existing equipment and to visualize it in the context of the real world. Imagine being able to look at a gauge, see what the value is, even from across the room. Now, so this is augmented reality, but uh, not just like Microsoft's version with uh, the HoloLens, but this is like a full-on worker's helmet with a full field of view, really impressive, working demo, and the helmet itself runs Linux. Now, the stack that you can develop on top of is an SDK that works for multiple operating systems, or you can use the Unity game engine. But the hardware itself, the multiple computers in the helmet and managing all of that are uh, Linux-powered. And in fact... Because it's Linux-powered, and I thought this was kind of an interesting angle on it, uh, they have quite a bit of Linux job openings right now over on their website. And they're looking for people that have experience, uh, Linux, uh, Linux software engineer packaging, a developer, embedded engineers, um, and all of that. They're looking for information. So this helmet, Noah, is super, super cool. It is uh, kind of in the early prototype stages right now. They've solved some of the problems that the HoloLens hasn't been able to solve. And what I like about it is it seems pretty practical that something like this would work better in the more work environment where you might already have kind of an expensive helmet. A uh, family member of mine was an iron worker, and the special kind of uh, welding um, hood that he had had a special kind of glass on it that was $1,000 just for the hood glass. So it's not unusual for you know specific work tasks to have a re really extremely 
expensive equipment like this. What do you think? I think it would be a great replacement for my Google Glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. It would actually be a functional replacement. Uh, it's pretty neat. And I like the fact that it has that, uh, that sensor on there to do real-time tracking. They say it's the new standard for industrial wearables. The Daiquiri Smart Helmet, an elegant fusion of the most sophisticated display and sensor hardware with next-generation computer vision. What's also kind of neat about it, though, Noah, is it lies on top of uh, a uh, platform that is also sort of you could build the, uh, the, the AI and some of the software you use with your own set of cameras, your own set of hardware. You don't actually have to use their helmet. The software is open source. So their SDK, you can build applications for, and you could actually build your own helmet with, they don't recommend you do this, but you could actually, you know, duct tape Logitech C920 cameras to a, to a helmet and put a couple of pies in there, and you could actually build your own system out of this. See, that's the kind of stuff I like. Heck yeah! Because you're not, because you're not, you're not, sl you're not a slave to a company. No, you can, yeah, no, this is, it's now they have their own, like, kind of extra uh, jazzed up stuff that sits on top of it for the Daiquiri helmet, and the Daiquiri helmet itself isn't open. But uh, the fact that the platform it's built on top of, and you could actually build your own, is really cool. If you go to their website, you can find out more if you guys are curious. I was digging around. Uh, it's the AR toolkit that they've recently purchased, uh, which is the world's most widely used augmented reality toolkit, which also has you know, features available for Unity and things like that. And this stuff is available just for anybody to use right now. For any augmented reality is getting closer and closer. And they're also giving out uh, awards uh, for really cool a a augmented reality apps up to $4,000. And you know what I like about it, Noah? The fact that it uh, runs Linux? Yeah, Linux first. The fact that it runs Linux and that, it, you know, it's open source underneath the hood and things like that. I think, you know, because we've seen a lot from Microsoft in the augmented reality, but Noah, we haven't seen a lot that is in the open source space. So that is right. super neat. All right, let's tell you about something else that is super neat. That's our first sponsor, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get going with your own Linux rig up in the cloud. You know, last week, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I spun up a digital, I probably did, I spun up a DigitalOcean droplet to manage my password solution. LastPass being bought by LogMeIn was once again another reminder of why I should probably roll my own solutions for these important things. So I set up a droplet with GPG support and sync thing and a few, and pass and a few other things installed on it for me. In no time. And I absolutely am willing to pay $5 a month for what I can do with this thing because it's handling some other tasks for me, too. It is great. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds. So your base rig, $5 a month. Think about that. $5 for the entire month. You'll get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. This is your own Linux rig up in the cloud that you can install the X11 desktop and no, no machine NX if you wanted to. I mean, there's really some pretty cool possibilities. Or you can use it as a headless server like I use. I have several of them like that. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and Toronto. The interface is simple with an intuitive control panel, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. Now, no, I know you've got a lot of droplets. Have you actually ever tried to grab like a DigitalOcean uh, droplet manager for your phone? You know, I did. I had one for a little bit, and what I, <laughs> what I found was is that I just don't manage. I just don't want to manage servers from my phone. Like yeah. if you are a per, like you are a great example of the opposite end of the spectrum because you're the kind of person that's like if you want to look up five reviews on five different products, you would have no problem doing that on your phone. I yeah, that's would true. Maybe do one if I had to, but really, I'll just wait the extra couple hours till I get back to the house to do it. But when you're on your couch, like the laptop can be right next to you and you'll still grab your smartphone to do it. So I think it's kind of a different way that we tackle stuff. I'll tell you what I'll use it for. I'd actually, I just think, you know what's really handy is 
Uh, we have Restarting? A, we, yeah, we have a, we have a, mm -hmm. a, a droplet that runs Minecraft for my kids. And, okay. uh, I mean, that's just a real quick, like, uh, quick fix. Like, Dad doesn't even have to SSH in. It's <laughs> just click. Okay. All right, there you go. See you later. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, well, the other thing I like about it is the, it's the Swimmer app, and it's, it's open source, too. So it's an app for Android to manage DigitalOcean, and it's open source. I mean, it's pretty nice. No, it's pretty nice. But, yeah, I follow you. Yeah, I've I used it that. to restart. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. You know, there's also the same thing for, like, uh, speaking of Ubuntu, there is a, there's an open source applet you can get for the Ubuntu Unity menu that kind of lets you do the same thing. You can uh, also do snapshots is the other thing that's kind of nice from the menu is be able to just trigger a snapshot because they're all just using the API. It's really easy when you use the API. So use our promo code, last digital to get a $10 credit. Then you can try out the $5 rig two months for free or try out the fancier rig for free, no credit card required, last digital. You apply that after you create your DigitalOcean account and they'll give you a credit. It's a nice way to support the show and also check it out. They've got some great things to play with up there, some really nice technology, some great data centers, and they've also introduced floating IPs which is really great if you're moving things around. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Thank you, DigitalOcean. Okay, no. So we have a app pick this week that I think is right up the automated alley. I can totally see why you picked this one. It's called, yep. I believe, Blue Proximity, which probably gives, you, gives it away what it is, but tell us what it is, Noah. So I look at my desktop password kind of more like a little sticky note that I put on the computer that says, this is mine, please don't use it, because... The reality is, if you have physical access to the machine, you're probably going to be able to at least log into the machine. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean mm -hmm. that you're going to be able to access my data, right? Because obviously, I have uh, I have the ability to encrypt. Um, but the uh, but the, but the actual password to the machine, I don't put a whole lot of stock into it. That said, I it is really inconvenient every time I come down to my workshop and I and I go to do something and then I walk away. I don't necessarily want customer data. Um, displayed on the screen and, and stuff like that mm -hmm. if when I'm away from the machine. So what this program does, you install it, you pair it to your phone, and then when your phone is in Bluetooth proximity range and you can set the threshold, when your phone is within a certain threshold range, it activates the um, the, the the screen unlock. It right. unlocks the screen for you. Or I yeah. assume the reverse if you walk away. That's right. Yep. So when you when you leave the when you leave the system then or when you leave the uh, when you leave your 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 workspace or whatever and it, it drops below that threshold, then it cuts off. So it's it's an incredibly cool way to kind of automate login. And you, I, it's almost kind of like, it's almost sort of like two factor in a way in that it's something you have. It just it also it's not really two factor because you don't also require something, you know, but uh, it's a it's a it, it seems like it it walks that fine line between security and convenience and I really like it very cool so blue proximity and uh, blue proximity.sourceforge.net will have a link to that in the show notes and uh, I like that kind of stuff no there's a few other apps out there to accomplish this but this is, looks like it's just a nice dedicated one which is pretty cool all right so uh, we have a we have a pick that I'm not actually sure it would make for a great day-to-day -day runner but we wanted to spotlight uh, Hawaii, Hawaii OS, uh, which has is a cool, uh, you know, called a cool technical preview OS, and it looks really slick. It's a lightweight Linux-based operating system with a suite of software that makes your computer run. Now, here's what's really cool: is it uses its own shell as a workspace, and it's using Wayland underneath for the display manager, and it uses Qt for to to uh, as the toolkit for the display, and it uses systemd on the back end for all services. They say it offers a dynamic, flicker-free, fast environment with a responsive design. It looks behaves great on every form factor. It has a great out-of-the-box experience, they say. They have a consensus-based community interested in developing the Hawaii system. 
We believe the power, we believe in the power of open source free software and worldwide collaboration. So it looks really, I don't know what the 60% thing on the website means, but it looks really slick, Noah. And uh, if you look at some of the features, they talk a little bit about their use of, uh, of Wayland here. They also say they have a minimalist approach where there's almost no preferences available and a highly customized approach where every single detail can be changed depending on what you go for. The shell is modular. This means we can create variants optimized for the device you're using. A shell optimized for the desktop will be the first choice available. As a technology, we're using the wide... We're using widely we, we are widely adopted applications, and third parties will have different UX appearances for both desktop and mobile. Hmm. Wayland is the most exciting piece of technology for Linux graphics stack in years, and Maui is the first Linux distribution to use it. In fact, Maui couldn't be done without it. Wayland provides a method of compositing window managers to communicate directly with applications and video hardware. Its goal is a system where every frame is perfect, where applications are able to control the rendering enough that users won't see tearing leg, redraw, or flicker. So there you go, Noah. Sounds kind of fancy, huh? And they got, of course, screenshots it, it, up over at hawaiios.org. It does. And you know what the first word that comes to mind as I see this? And, and I, we had a bit of an issue with the show doc um, this week. So I, I've only been looking at it. I haven't actually had a chance to install it and try it. But the first word that comes to my mind when I look at this stuff is polished. Mm. It just looks polished. It just it looks like it looks like an OS that I would expect from a company that designed a custom OS for a particular piece of hardware. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's you know that's a, that's a you know and the fact that they have the option of I don't want customizability or I do want customizability that is in in my opinion like the perfect way to tackle that horse because you that's, have people like, that's what I'm curious about well and so here's the thing you look at people like my mother who she's she, you know she's sixty some years old and she uh, she wants to open her web browser and do her stuff and she mm-hmm. wants everything else to get out of the way. And mm-hmm. then there's people like me who I want, I, 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 that's great and I want her to have that option, but I also want a button that I can click where I can get in and dig a little bit deeper. And the fact that they let you choose to go all the way or just leave it simplistic, th- I think that's a really great approach. I think more play, more OSs should look at that kind of adoption. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? It makes me want to try it out. It makes me do... Oh, and if anybody out there has tried out linuxaction.reddit.com, we put it in the spotlight to kind of give it some attention to see if anybody wants to try it out. So there you go. Hawaii and hawaiios.org. And uh, the Daiquiri Smart Helmet was the uh, that runs Linux. And then the uh, desktop app pick was... Uh, what was it, Noah? Blue... Uh, what? Blue Proximity. Blue Proximity, right. So there you go. There's the three picks. Other picks at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. All right, Noah, let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com no everybody knows that go to last.ting.com and get ourselves a discount go and get ourselves a little promo to last.ting.com everybody go there it's mobile that makes sense it's my mobile service provider and it's noah's mobile service provider in fact a lot of the crew here at jupiter broadcasting uses ting because it really is mobile that makes sense no contracts no early termination fee and you only pay for what you use isn't that slick now think about this if you can go get an unlocked phone and you only pay for what you use, and if you're just a little savvy, if you're just a little clever, you can probably really optimize that. I have three lines. I'm paying around $40 this month. That is nothing. That is now Noah can beat me on that. I think he's got like eight lines and he pays a ridiculous low amount for that too. But, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty proud of my three. <laughs> yeah, you, you should be. And here's the thing. They, I keep adding to them. It's, they're like, uh, they're like, they're like uh, uh, reproducing children. Yeah. I had... I started out with a couple, but I keep finding good deals, and then I can never pass up a good deal. So I'll give you an example. This week, I found a unlocked T-Mobile hotspot on eBay for $18. Nice. Now, how, how are you going to pass that up, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I could always use an extra hotspot. 
So now my car has a dedicated hotspot inside inside the Jeep. Uh, there's there's a hotspot. And so you just pay for Jeep, when you use it. I have internet. Pay for when that's you use right, it. Yeah. That's what's so nice about it. So you don't have to have the guilt of a contract that's charging you every single month or. You know, you don't have to call up and pause billing or something like that, which some carriers will let you do for a maximum of 90 days. None of that with Ting. And I can tell you it is a really nice system because you can pick from two networks. So you get to pick and choose and what's better in your area, CDMA or GSM. And then you get to pull the trigger. They also have some great devices. Like, the and look at this Alcatel one-touch fling, $38. No contract, no determination fee, pay for what you use. $38 for a basic feature phone that gets the job done. And, of course, they got all the great phones like the Moto E, the Moto G, the Moto X, the Nexus, the Internet phones, the Galaxy phones, the OnePlus. Lots of really good phones at Ting. When you buy them, you own them outright, like the Motorola Nexus 6, $349 unlocked. They also have the 6P and the Nexus 5X. Nexus 5X, $379. Pure Google phone. Updates directly from Google. You choose CDMA or GSM, pay for what you use. So slick. I would definitely check it out. Last.ting.com. And, no, I know you're a big hiker. You know, you're walking around all the time in Grand Forks. You're a big, uh, you're a big, uh, you know, exerciser, Noah. I know this about okay. you. I know this about okay. you. And all right. so, I'm uh, learning something about myself, apparently. I, I, yes, of course <laughs> you are. And I'm worried about your safety in the rough streets of Grand Forks, okay. North Dakota. Uh -huh. It is, uh -huh. you know, you got lines that go one direction and lines that go another direction, Noah. And you just yep. don't know what's going to happen. So Kyra's here with the Ting app pick, or I'm sorry, the Ting download, to set you straight and keep you safe. Mace, pepper spray, a taser, your smartphone. One of these things is not like the others. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting download. Walking at night can be scary. Whether the danger is real or perceived, anything that can help us feel safer while walking alone can only be a good thing. We're not about to announce the first iPhone case that's also a taser. Someone's already come up with that. Seriously. Instead, we want to talk about Companions. This app lets you keep in touch with someone while you walk. It doesn't require you to stay on the phone with that person or send text messages back and forth. Rather, it lets you send updates and share your location along the way. That's neat, but nothing you couldn't accomplish with a similar app. What sets Companion apart is that it proactively monitors your progress as you go and has the smarts to figure out if something is amiss. It can tell if you quickly change directions, if you've fallen over, or if you start running, for example. If your headphones cord gets yanked out, it treats that like a trigger too and will alert the people you've specified, or even the authorities, instantly sharing your GPS location. You have 15 seconds to dismiss a triggered event before the app takes matters into its own hands. Companion is apparently gaining traction on college campuses, and we can understand why. Grab Companion for free from Google Play or the Apple App Store, and you'll never need to walk home alone again. If you like this app, like this video, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube to keep up with what we're doing. Last.ting.com. You know, I could also see that being a pretty useful thing for parents. You know, maybe the kid's walking to the yep. bus stop, that kind of thing. Because uh, every now and then, it's like a big deal for Dylan. Like, let me walk to the bus by myself. Let me walk to the bus by myself. All right, here, just take this, and it's going to track you, and then it'll be fine. And, of course, when you're only paying for what you use, it's not a crazy idea to give your kid a phone, even a young one. Last.ting.com. Nope. Check them out. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah, we've got a lot to cover this week, but one thing I want to cover right now is an event that's happening that regrettably we couldn't make it to, but still deserves some attention. That's Seagull going on in Seattle oh, yeah. right now, October 23rd and 24th. And tomorrow they may have some live streaming talks. So I want to point everybody over at their schedule. You can find that at uh, seagull.org, S-E-A-G-L.org. Also, follow them on Twitter because they're tweeting about some of this stuff as well. So uh, you can check that out. They have, uh, they have uh, some tweets going up. It's uh, at S-E-A-G-L 
on Twitter. And uh, maybe we can make it next year. No, hopefully it'll make it on our list. We do have some. Yeah, that'd be uh, really we, cool. We do have some upcoming travels we'll be telling people about here in uh, just a little bit. But first, this is an Ubuntu edition of the Linux Action Show, so it does seem fitting that maybe we start with some very big news in the Ubuntu community. Uh, this is the big story today as we're recording the Linux Action Show. Kubuntu's release manager has called it quits. So Jonathan Riddle lost his leadership roles uh, relating to Ubuntu. Remember, you might remember that he stepped down a bit ago. We've been kind of vague what's going on with him and Kubuntu since then. But there has been a little bit of an update. Now that uh, Kubuntu 15.10 shipped yesterday, he's moving on and no longer will be serving as the Kubuntu release manager. Instead, he's going to get involved with upstream KDE development, which seems like a good positive development. Uh, but he wrote, an, on his, he wrote an announcement on Kubuntu.org. It says, for the last three years, Ubuntu's main sponsor, Canonical, has had a policy contrary to this. And after much effort to try to rectify this, and, and it's, clear, uh, it's clear this isn't going to happen. The Ubuntu leadership seems compliant compliant with this, so I find myself unable to continue helping the project that won't obey its own community rules, and I need to move on. Now, that's kind of an interesting, uh, but not too out of what we've heard from him for a while now, so not too surprising to, to hear him make that point, but he also went on to say on the Ubuntu Devil mailing list that uh, he said he's heard from too many people who feel they've been bullied out of the project for this just to be a personal problem. This community needs a council who will stand up for the third party and volunteer develop developers who will criticize when money is collected and additional use for the community but not used uh, for who and will ensure the Ubuntu policies on copyright licenses. Now he goes on to say on Reddit in another uh, thread the Canonical defrauded donors and broke copyright licenses. Uh, his claim being that on that slider page that uh, some of the money that people slid over to community was uh, not tracked properly and it's not clear where it was actually spent. Uh, now, uh, since then, Canonical has been actually posting where that money gets spent and, and auditing it. But there was a chunk of money that was uh, sort of not sure where it went. And um, the, uh, the accusation, as you will, is a pretty big one. That the community donated money to Canonical for development of Ubuntu, and the, the money that was slid to the community side is really not tracked where it went. And again, with uh, more claims of leadership not listening things like this. It's sort of once again yet another another shot at Canonical and they're sort of once again put in the position of having to defend themselves. They're coming from, a, they have to come from a point of defending accusations uh, that were lobbied at them. Like it doesn't seem almost fair to me. Like it, it seems like we're hearing from one side and not the other side in this story. Noah, what is your thoughts? What are your takes? Well, so I have no doubt that any company of size is going to make mistakes. Um, the question becomes, is it, is it an integrity issue or was, is it an accident? And in, in most open source companies, I think we owe it to them to give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume for the time being that it was an accident. Maybe, uh, sure, maybe community funds that were, that were donated with the hope that they would go towards a specific cause or really mandated that they would go towards a specific uh, sect. That didn't happen. But is that because Canonical just is a big organization? They have a lot of moving parts and accidents happen? Or did they intentionally just say, we don't really care what the community members thought they were donating to. We need money over here, and so we're going to take it. I think there's a big difference there, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I, I agree. I think my experience has showed me that sometimes from the outside, uh, even when you're fairly close to the inside, but you're still on the outside, things can look a lot different than they actually are. And yep. you can have all of the evidence in the world that uh, seems to support what you're saying, 
And a lot of times, us computer geeks also uh, pretty damn confident in our opinion and our ability to suss up a situation. Mm -hmm. And so we come to a conclusion about how somebody is screwing us or how somebody is wrong or how somebody's a jerk. And then everything we see after that just sort of confirms that viewpoint. Yep. It's a human problem, really. And yeah. uh, I, I think we need something to complain about. Is well, what and I, I, I think there's a culture in, in, in intelligent people. I think there's a culture of uh, overconfidence in their ability to suss out and figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, Jonathan could be completely dead on. Uh, he also could be partially right. And the full story could be much, much different. But the challenge is, is essentially canonical has to come out and say they have to defend themselves from an awful position. You know, you, they're starting, you know, somebody's going out and, and, and claiming something and they're having to come back and start from a position of defending themselves, which mm -hmm. never sounds good because then you always, whatever you say, always sounds like you're just being defensive. Did you beat your wife in the morning or in the afternoon? Right. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a thing. That's kind of where I was going. Yeah. So while we're talking about Canonical, I want to talk about some interesting developments on uh, Ubuntu Touch. And I'm wondering, Noah, for you specifically, if this could make Ubuntu Touch a much, much, much more likely mobile platform for you. This is being shown off this week by uh, Michael Hall. Uh, he's been, we'll tell you more about that in a second, but he was posting some pretty neat teases. This week, he showed proof of full desktop apps running on Ubuntu Touch on a Nexus 4, including oh, GIMP and Firefox. Uh, he posted on his Google Plus page here a picture of him uh, running uh, GIMP on uh, the Nexus 4. And you can see it's running like in a XMIR window here. And that's the full GIMP program running on a Nexus 4. Uh, he goes on, uh, he emphasized that the images remain very much under development, lots of work still to do to make these useful, but it's great to be able to show visible progress. After Hall posted the screenshots, Softpedia confirmed with him, and Canonical's plan is indeed to make it possible to run any native Linux application on Ubuntu Touch. Now, here's the neat thing, because at first you're like, why would I ever want GIMP on a mobile phone? Why would I ever want that, right? Here's the neat thing. Now, imagine the screen is a little bit bigger, or you have it hooked up to an HDMI monitor. HDMI monitor. Or maybe it's like a 7-inch or 12-inch tablet. Or maybe I just want to do it because I just want to do because it. Because you just need to. You're on the road. But when you hook up, say, like a Bluetooth mouse, the idea is that Unity will flip into desktop mode. So you or interface, like it'll make it more, more approachable in a desktop mode. So you could take a phone or take a tablet and have like these core applications that you have to have to get your job done. And you wouldn't normally want to run them. I mean, this is maybe I'm just making all this up. But it seems like this could be really nice. Like if there's every now and then there was just one thing you had to edit under GIMP. And so it would just be nice to run it for five minutes every now and then. And you know why I know this is possible? Because I'm the guy who's been like, geez, I just need to remote into the system right now. I don't care if I have to pinch and zoom this team viewer screen all over <laughs> the place. I'm going to get into this computer yep. and fix this problem from my phone. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've done that. So that's why mm -hmm. I look at this and I think that would totally work. What do you think, Noah? Am I, am I too optimistic? No. I, the... So I have a couple of big hurdles to get over with uh, with Ubuntu's mobile operating system. And the first is that at this point in time, in a lot of ways, Android is a more usable system than Linux is in certain respects, right? <clears throat> there are certain applications that exist for Android that have existed on the Windows and Mac desktops for a long time, and they're available on Android, but still not available on the Linux desktop. And so in that respect, there is a lot of advantage in having an Android-based device. The second thing that comes to me is I, ha I, I have got people always say, well, people, you evaluate it with preconceived notions and that's why you don't like this. In the case of Ubuntu Touch, every time I pick up an Ubuntu Touch device, I want to like it. 
I want to say, this is going to be my next phone. Take my Android phone and please give me one of those. And every time I pick one up and I play with it, I, I am left with this feeling of it's just, I feel like I'm using Android, except it's a lot older and doesn't support as many native apps. And those are two really big hurdles to get over. Now, I will mitigate those or I can mitigate those with with two other sides of it. And that is the first is I actually trust the platform. If Ubuntu comes out on the phone, I have inherent trust for the platform and it can store my data. I would be perfectly comfortable encrypting my data and putting it on uh, on a Nexus 4 if it was running um, the Ubuntu operating system. And the second thing is if if I can truly run desktop applications on my phone, then how much different is that from if I could install Ubuntu as it is right now on on yeah, a tablet and use it with a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. And you know what? I would do that if it was easy and simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I would I would spend a bunch of money on hardware and then hours of my time to make that work. I would probably do just that because really there are a lot of things I like about the tablet uh, form factor makes it easier for transportation and carrying it around. And as you know, I like to haul my laptop with me everywhere I go. So if I can get that down to a seven or 10 inch thing, I would be all for that. There's two ways I look at this. Uh, I ask myself, uh, would I be interested if if Google announced tomorrow that Chrome OS would be able to run uh, native Linux applications like GIMP? And my answer to that is yes, I would be interested in that product. So there I can see there's a reason for it right there. There's people that want that type of that type of portability, that type of device. Um, but um, yeah, and mind you, this is on an ARM chip too, right? Because this is a Nexus 4, so that mm-hmm. kind of battery life too. Uh, yep. and, and But they don't want to use Chrome OS. So that's number one. But number two, and I really agree with what the chat room is saying right now, is there are just certain Linux applications that I love, specifically terminal apps, you know, that like uh, HTOP and WeChat and CMUS that are never going to, or Vim is another <laughs> great example, that are never going to get ported to an Ubuntu Touch QT QML app. Never going to happen. Yeah. Not in 30 years. They'll never get mm-hmm. moved over. And and every now and then, I want one of those. And I realized the terminal was going to be available already. But this is sort of an extension of that. Moves it even further. But honestly, it means it, it could be a serious contender um, as a Linux desktop in your pocket. Like, that actually makes it. That way, I'm not just limited to Qt apps and things like that. Xmere, it must be how, it's, how they're doing it. The thing I need to bring this all together is I need a little dock on my desk that I can set my phone into and then have it connected to a keyboard, a mouse, a monitor, a wired network jack, the whole nine yards. And if that happens, I would buy it even if I never used the built-in screen, just the ability to carry the computer with me and dock it from place to place. Even if all it ever did was go from the dock to the, from home to the dock to my work to maybe a little mini dock in my car. If that's all I could do with it, I would use it. I would switch. I would switch tomorrow. I'm starting to think it's going to happen. No, I'm starting to think it's going to happen. I'm excited. So uh, something else I'm kind of excited about. I want to uh, just shift gears for just a couple of minutes. We'll do a quick uh, Valve update because uh, we got a couple of things happening this week. Number one is uh, the uh, Alienware Steam machines have gone up for uh, pre-sale. They uh, come in at a couple different price points. These are the consoles that come with a Steam controller, Steam OS preloaded. I got a couple of choices for you here, Noah. Are you ready for these prices? I'm ready. $650 and $750. You get a 4th Gen i5, you get SteamOS, 8 gigabytes of memory across the board. Uh, on the nicer one, they upgrade you to a pretty nice uh, NVIDIA GPU. But yeah, so that's way cheaper than a PS4 or an Xbox. Either, yeah. and, and these are 1st Gen devices too, so they're probably not going to be flawless. And the other thing is, it has legacy purpose as well. So with the PS4, when we move on to the PS5, 
where that that PS4 is now mm. it, it is now best suited to adjusting the height of my monitor. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, with <clears throat> with these boxes, when when uh, when they become outdated, I can use them for other things. I can use them as media centers. I can use them as servers. I can use them as desktop computers if I wanted to. I can give it to my kid. I can do other things with this particular piece of hardware. So that's a great point. That's a great point. And uh, the Steam library uh, has a much wider range. You know, there's a lot of lower end games and higher end games. That's okay. That's a great point. Uh, okay. So here is here's the catch, though, Noah. That price, though, is still. I mean, that's a that's a hard sell. I mean, come on, come on. I can't believe you're justifying that price. Still, six hundred and fifty dollars. Really? I think it's got to be around four hundred. But what do you get? If, so. For four, if if you if you go with the four hundred dollar price point, I agree. Compared to other uh, other console uh, <laughs> other console games, I I can I or the the game console itself. I guess I can understand where you're coming from, but I think if you look at what you're actually getting for that six hundred and fifty bucks, I don't know if I could. Well, I guess I could, but if once you once you take into uh to account labor, I don't know if I could build a six hundred and fifty dollar computer. Well, the form factor is nice. I'll give you that. Um. It is a good rig, and you know, so it comes with a Steam controller. So I want to talk a, take a minute. And I want to talk about the Steam controller. So the Steam controller is it's fifty bucks. I want to start right there. It's forty nine ninety nine. It's forty nine ninety nine, and it is crazy configurable. And if you have uh, a, a current version of Linux, depends on your Linux, but it's going to require probably a couple of things to get it working. Unless you're lucky enough to have kernel, what is it four three or four two that has built in support. So it's got a Steam button right there in the middle of the controller. Uh, and, you know, my impressions of the uh, controller itself, like weight-wise, is it feels a little bit heavier or so than the Xbox 360 controller. It's got a really good feel to it, Noah. It feels like a very well-built piece of uh, kit. Uh, much better than the sample units I picked up at, like, PAX or something a year ago. Um, so I, 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 I'd say for $49, it feels, it feels like one of the best-built controllers ever. Here, I'll log in and just get, I'll show you. I'm going to start up Steam for you, Noah. I know you're a big Steam player, Noah. I know you're big on that. So well, uh, I, I'm even less so with a controller. But t tell me this: <laughs> Have you played? Have you played with the? Um, have you played with the Xbox 360 controller? Oh yeah, that's the other controller I have. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that is kind of hailed as the controller. I'm yeah. interested. What do you think about that Steam controller as it compares to the Xbox 360 controller? If you're going to buy a controller today, I think this is the one to get. I mean, I think the X. I'm sorry. I think the Xbox 360 controller is the one to get. I don't actually think. Okay. I don't actually think this would be a. I don't think this is a controller I would actually recommend to people at this point. Uh, okay. But uh, the because because so many things just work out of the box with the Steam controller. So right now I'm I am using Steam Big Picture mode and I'm using my Steam controller to uh, manipulate the game. Now uh, there's a couple of games in here right out of the box that have Steam controller support and they make it really obvious, like Bioshock and things like that. And then there are certain games that don't have Steam support, and that's a bit of a bummer. Because to get those to work, you kind of have to do a little bit of juggling. So I'll just show you real quick. So this one uh, is Distance. It's a game we've been playing on the Faux Show. Uh, we're going to be playing it next week on the Faux Show. And uh, in order to play this with the controller, I get a nice message that says controller configuration required. This game wasn't designed for controllers, but you can play it with your Steam controller. Here's how you do it, though. You have to go manage the game, configure the controller, right? Now you can go in here and map every single thing on the uh, on the uh, pad and the buttons yourself, which I'm never going to do because I'm too lazy. Or you can hit X and it brings up community prepared configurations for the controller. And this is where I think Valve's really got some secret sauce. 
You go in here, you can get the recommended gamepad layout, you can get community-created gamepad layouts, you can select them, and it's good to go. It pre-configures all of the buttons for that game for you, and now it's loaded, so I can save it. I can save it as my own profile, so I can give it my own one if I want to uh, have some variations on it, or I can just now select this one and be good to go. And now the game essentially has controller support because it's mapped keyboard and mouse controls, to the controller. Now, hmm. how does the mouse work? This uh, this touchpad in the middle is an extremely, extremely sensitive touchpad, and it includes haptic feedback too, so you get a little sense of your distance and your travel on it. Uh, the whole mm -hmm. thing can vibrate as well and has a pretty good feeling vibrator in it. Heyo. And uh, all in all, I would say it is a very, very good first generation product. I don't know if I would actually recommend you go out and buy it right now. I'd probably wait a couple of months and maybe even wait till January-ish. I'm not quite sure because Enough of the experience was a little ho-hum that I, I found myself actually spending more time trying to get the controller to work with different stuff than I actually did play games. Uh, which is just, I think, a symptom of an early device, because the, the device itself, Noah, is really good, and the games that support it, it works crazy good out of the box. How smooth is the... I, I assume it is emulating a joystick, right? Or a mouse, yeah. Uh, and it's, it is just as smooth as your nicest gaming mouse. And, you know, you have micro-movements with your thumb on this thing, so you can really just kind of, uh, you know, just with, well, you can control the sensitivity, but with just very little effort, you can move around. Like, I played uh, Borderlands, uh, the pre-sequel, and found looking around to be extremely fluid. And then it has two triggers on the top and bottom, so I can, uh, I can mm -hmm. assign those to middle things. And it has paddles, which is nice for racing games, so you can, be sh you can shift or something with the paddles on the bottom of the controller. And it has one analog stick on the top of it, as well as the uh, touchpad controls. Now, how about um, how about going from essentially a mouse to essentially a trackpad? I mean, that's kind of what you're doing, right? Yeah, you know, uh, it's such a hypersensitive trackpad that it doesn't really feel like a downgrade at all because now I feel like with micro-movements of my thumb, I can accomplish what I would have to do entire movements on my hand with. I, mm. I did have to spend about 20, 30 seconds being like, oh, geez, is this too sensitive? Is this too much? Uh, so I guess here's my walk-away, like, uh, quick Linux Action Show review of the Steam Controller. I think it's one of the best controllers on the market. I think it's one of the most customizable controllers on the market, and it has first-class support under Linux. However, if I was going to buy a controller today to play games today, I would probably pick up a 360 controller because there's really no downside. It's going to work with all the games that have console or have controller support, and it's going to work with the Steam Link. It's going to work with SteamOS and, and other Linux games just fine. This is a longer play, because not only is our games going to be written to support this controller, and I think they will since it's a solid piece of hardware, but I think because this thing can be reprogrammed to be any controller or anything, this is the better mm -hmm. long-term bet. But, and also the $50 price is extremely competitive for a really well-built wireless controller. Yeah, because the Xbox One is what, 35 bucks, 36 Something bucks? around there, and you know, that's after years and years of, of iterating on and bringing the price down. So, right, and they're really, wired. Really good stuff from Valve. I was really impressed with it. And uh, and how does it connect? Is it RF or Bluetooth? It is like its own. It has its own uh, dongle. I assume it's RF. Okay. Or RF, some okay. or some some two four gigahertz something. Uh, mm -hmm. So a couple of things. You do need a couple of UDEV rules on uh, like uh, current versions of Linux on uh, Ubuntu fifteen ten, which we're talking about today. When you install the Steam package from the repo, it also creates those UDEV rules for you. And in the Arch user repository. There are some Steam UDEV rules. You just install that package, and it creates all the rules, and then you just plug the device in, and it's good to go. And I think uh, probably by the time the next versions of all the distros get updates, this is going to be working out of the box for everybody. Pretty cool, Noah. So I would say, you know, long-term bet, this is the controller to go for. If you want to buy something mm -hmm. today, 
it, you're still not making a mistake going with the 360 controller. It's still a fine controller for Linux. If you can stomach giving your money to Microsoft, that would be the only thing I would mention. Uh, and we'll have links for people that want to get it set up on their distro in the show notes. And uh, by the way, Portal 2, crazy good. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. It is time for the Linux Action Show to take a look at Ubuntu 15.10, which came out this week. And in fact, uh, Noah and I have been kicking around for a little while in its different iterations as it's getting closer and closer. And we're going to tell you what's new, what's changed, and what we think of this new release. But first, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, System76.com. Go to System76 and get a machine ready to run Ubuntu 15.10 today. Ready to go out of the box. They got powerful rigs designed, born, built to run Linux desktops, laptops, servers, you name it. In fact, I'm a little bit curious about this new Wild Dog Pro because it's got the new 6th gen Intel i5 or i7 processor, and it can go up to a GTX 980 and 64 gigabytes of RAM. What I love about it is you can get it in silver or black, and then you go in there and customize it the way you need it, and then over time you could also upgrade it because it's really straightforward to just pop a new GPU in there. Really cool, the Wild Dog Pro now with those brand new Intel processors, System76.com. Go look, for, go look at them. Go check out. These are systems that are ready and just rock with Linux out of the box. And if you're doing like complete reinstalls or doing upgrades, you're going to have great results with System76. System76.com. In fact, we're going to be visiting System76 for their Superfan Contest in November. Coming up in November, Noah and I will be doing a live episode of the Linux Action Show from System76's office. Are you excited? No, are you ready? Are you, are, I, I cannot are you put pumped? into words how excited I am. In fact, the uh, the the um, uh, I believe she's the sales and marketing manager. But Louisa and I have been uh, going back and forth with emails, kind of getting some of the the travel details and and whatnot nailed down. And uh, it's it, yeah, it is. It's it's an exciting thing. I wonder if they would let us use a couple of those machines to do the live show. Oh, we should ask. We how cool ask. would that be if we could? How cool would that be? What's that, what, that, that, that? That big workstation that they have—that's like insanely expensive—and neither you or Ooh. I could ever afford it. But we could. But we'd have to sell our children. Yeah, the, yeah, we could do that. You're you're, uh, you're talking about they got the Silverback workstation or even the Leopard Extreme. No, 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 Silverback. That's now I want to do. The, I want to do the. Silverback. I would say I'd say the Leopard Extreme. I would sell two kids. I don't even need yeah. to. I do all three kids. We both for the have to sell our kids, and then we could go into it halvesies. Actually, I think we could just sell one, but maybe they'd take all three of mine, just you know, just just for a little bit. I mean, yeah. maybe they give them back. They could do like a that's, trade program. Yeah, that's what for, I was gonna say. Yeah. You take my kids; you'll, they'll just they'll come back and say, "Here, you can have both yeah. the silverback and your kids. Just please take them." Like, how about like in January? Like, keep them through Christmas. Give mm -hmm. me the silverback the workstation, deduction. and then we'll do a swapsies in January. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Not, After the tax, you don't deduction. have to yeah, be extreme. Just go to system76.com and get yourself a rig born to run Linux. Thanks, System76. Okay, Noah, so it's an Ubuntu review here on the big show, and these are always a bit of a challenge. They're actually a little more challenging than no. your other distros because you got all the prominent flavors that are based on Ubuntu. Plus, there's sometimes major changes and sometimes minor changes. Traditionally, the .10 releases have been an area where there has been a lot of experimentation. That's uh, essentially where Unity was first introduced. Uh, the Amazon search results came into one of these because a lot of times this was the breeding ground for really new stuff before the LTS had to have everything really nailed down. That is not necessarily the case with straight-up generic Ubuntu 15.10. There is some new stuff. There is some new technology in here that is worth talking about. Uh, so, first of all, it ships with Linux kernel 4.2. Uh, one of the nice new things that uh, server people have been looking for is stateless persistent network interfaces. 
not a huge fan, but people, some people love that. A lot of the GNOME packages have been brought up to GNOME 3.16, not all. I think, like, the G-Edit uh, version on here is still from, like, uh, I think G-Edit is still from, like, GNOME uh, 6, or uh, GNOME 3.10. I mean, I'm, I'm opening uh, G-Edit right now to double-check. But, yeah, it is a super old version of G-Edit. Uh, and, you know, that's fine. It's just, it's a little weird. There's different parts of G-Edit. Yeah, 3.10. Yeah, hey, you know, there's some parts. There's some things that have changed. But one of the other things that's changed when it comes to GTK apps is uh, the upstream GNOME scroll bars are now being used on the uh, borderless, like, hidden scroll bars. That's kind of nice. GCC 5 is in here as well as Python 3. And, like I mentioned earlier, the uh, support for the Steam controller when you install uh, the Steam package from the repo. So that's kind of some of the new stuff under the, under the hood. There's also a new version of Unity, version 7.3.3. And uh, kind of one of the big features, I'm not kidding, one of the big new features of Unity, and no, I don't know if you noticed this one, Huge. You ready for this? You can now drag icons. No, you can drag icons from the me from the menu launcher. You can drag them and put them on the desktop now. I don't know exactly why you'd want that, but it is now a thing that's somehow possible to do. I have not actually done it. I don't know why you'd want that. Desktop icons need to die, but that is kind of nice. Uh, and also, uh, there's uh, there's other nice things like you can from the oh I'm sorry from the dash to the desktop. Uh, you can page up and down and navigation works through scroll through the dash now. As session exit buttons have a click effect. There's a full screen menu bar fixes and a bunch of other little improvements and uh, things like that. So it's not a huge update, Noah, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. And I'm kind of curious, did you walk away impressed? Did you like it? What are your thoughts, sir? So I, I use Ubuntu because I know that there's a lot of other people that we support that are going to end up using Ubuntu, and so I want to stay current with it. It would probably not be the first my first choice of distro that said i enjoy steady and true so my ideal update to ubuntu is slightly newer versions of programs but they're all very well tested and tested with each other so i know nothing's going to break slightly newer kernel version and just don't change drastically anything so that i can still find things and i can still get work done and i thought ubuntu 1510 Hit hit that nail square on the head. I don't. You didn't talk about the the scroll bars, but apparently they did a lot of work on, oh, on scroll him a, bars. No, I gave him a quick mention. No, what it is is uh, there's a few bugs with the scroll bars, and sort of what turned out to be, I think, the easiest fix, but also kind of nice is uh, they just grabbed the uh, scroll bars from upstream from GNOME now. So they used to have their own like scroll bars that would automatically hide and go away and things like that. And uh, I'm kind of kind of demonstrating it right now on the live stream. Um, Where you and, can just grab a little ways yeah, off. Yeah, and now, yeah. so instead of their own implementation that was a little funky, some people thought, they're using the upstream version, which is honestly nice because it, it solves a few other bugs that uh, their implementation was causing. Yeah, and, and I, it does. It makes a big difference, and I really like it. Um, so upon first boot up, first thing I noticed is that annoying system problem is detected thing is gone. Hmm. Uh, finally. I got I one. Know, I've gotten one in my testing. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, just one. I, have yeah. It, I, ha I had it on two machines. I had it on... I had it on a spare laptop uh, for the first couple day for the first day or so, and then after I got made sure everything works, I actually put it on my main machine, um, and I've been running it uh, almost twenty four hours now on there, and it, it's it's been f almost flawless. I had one little problem when I got in to, to get on the air to do the show today, but save that, everything <laughs> else has worked really well. Yeah. The new wallpaper I think is really popping. They do a really good job of keeping that same purplesque theme mm -hmm. and at the same mm -hmm. time making it just new enough that I can tell what version I'm on right. Uh, right away, which I like. One thing I was super disappointed, I was under the impression that the online search results were going to be defaulted to off um, past 14.04, and that's not the case. Yeah, for some reason I got that impression too, and I don't know where I, I don't know where I got that along the way, but I also had that impression. 
So that's not cool. The other thing I I found, and I don't know if this is, I haven't been using, I've been using Arch for the past couple months, so I don't know if this is maybe specific to 1510 or maybe this has been happening for a while. When I choose allow and remember inside of Flash, every time I open Firefox back up, it asks me again if I would like to enable the Flash plugin. Mm. I have to click allow and remember again. Mm. And then we just, it's like playing ping pong. Um, and I don't understand why that isn't persistent. The things that uh, that really drew me to Ubuntu, and it, it, it is really, really helpful with these reviews when we go from one desktop to another, because things stand out to me a lot better than, than they would otherwise. Yeah, yeah. If you're using a low-resolution display, you should definitely be on Unity. Whether you're using Unity on Arch or Unity on Ubuntu, you should be on Unity, because the ability to scale the other way. We do pixel scaling to bring really high-resolution displays back to normal size, so we have normal-sized buttons and normal-sized text. There isn't a lot of emphasis on any other desktop that I'm aware of, of making things that are really big, smaller, and giving you a little bit more screen real estate than Ubuntu does. And so with that pixel scaling, you can actually scale down and make the, and I can take a 1366 by 768 display and get the same, almost the same screen real estate as a 1080 by, or a 1280 by uh, 10, or um, I'm sorry, 1920 by 1080. It's not exactly the same because obviously, you know, that's just scaling the, um, the operating system, it's not necessarily going to scale things like inside of uh, inside of Lightworks. Um, you know, those windows and stuff aren't going to scale. Um, but it definitely goes a long, long way to making those low resolution displays. Like your netbook res, your your 1336s, right? Right. Right. Which and let's face it, if you go into Walmart or Best Buy and walk out with a laptop, chances are, for better or for worse, whether we like it or not, it's going to be 1366 by 768 almost in depth, almost always, unless you're spending over a grand. The other thing I noticed, and again, not sure if this is an Ubuntu thing. Or if this is a uh, a Thunderbird thing, and I've just now noticed it because I have uh, that particular version of Thunderbird, I can't seem to save messages into my sent folder. So on Google, it works on it works on Fastmail, but in my in my Google folder, when I sync IMAP to Google, if I send a if I send a message, I, it just hangs, and eventually when I click cancel, it'll say the message sent, but I wasn't able to save a copy to the sent folder. Not sure exactly why that's happening, but it's kind of irritating. Um, the other thing is I, I noticed I have all my files on an encrypted drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing I noticed is there's no way to, even though crypt setup is installed, there's some sort of problem that actually prevents me from using it. And so you have to reinstall crypt setup in order to get it to work. And I think Wimpy huh. actually explained why that is, but they haven't fixed that particular okay. problem yet. Huh. And then additionally to that, if you don't mount it the first time when it pops up for the password, if you don't type in that password and you you click OK and you get a wrong password, then click cancel. You can't go back in and remount it. I have to log out and then log back in to get it to mount that encrypted drive. Hmm. I will be the first person to acknowledge that there are some really funky things with this particular install of Ubuntu that make me question if maybe this is maybe this is just a fluke. But most of these problems have pers- persisted across two different installs with two different ISOs downloaded two separate times and burned onto two separate USB sticks. So that hmm. does lead some credence to the fact that it's it, it could be a fifteen ten thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually this is I was saying on the pre show this is the first uh, time I I mean it's not totally uncommon but the first time I've ever had a bad a bad ISO and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really realize it until um, I gotten fairly far into trying to get it to boot because it did, did just fine. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, also, uh, it was the first time I've ever had to unplug from one USB port I was using and plug into a different USB port in order to get the entire live session to start. Otherwise, I just got a, a a failure to find the file system error. Now, if you are coming from an older version of Ubuntu, 
like say 1504 or newer, there are some big changes underneath the hood for you. Uh, this has the new AMD GPU kernel driver, which means you can get new recent uh, Radeon GPUs. It's got the Intel Broxton support. It has flash a, fa a flash friendly file system, which is really cool with encryption support. Uh, it also has support for extended four encryption now with this version. Uh, managing clustered raids is experimental. Live patching kernel code is in this version of Ubuntu. DMcrypt CPU scalability improvements as well. So there has been some changes to DMcrypt, Noah. Uh, all of this is also under the hood if you're coming from 1504 or newer. So, before we get into the other flavors, because I think that's maybe where some of the action's at for this release, I want to just say right off the top, uh, for while we're just talking about generic 1510, I think both of us give it a solid no reason not to upgrade. Yep. Like it's if you're yep. on if you're on the if you're on the non LTS releases, you get nine mm -hmm. months of support, and so you you're going to have a two month window to move from 1504. To this and so it's something that you know whenever you're on a non-lts release there's there's very little reason and sometimes we have come out of these reviews and said wait a couple of weeks wait a couple of months this time i think it's pretty much good to go you agree yeah and i went from an lts to 1510 yeah and i'd be lying i wouldn't have done that had it not been for the review for the show because usually i will just the whole idea of, of lts to me is I don't have to worry about it for for four years. Yeah. I can I can hang on to it for four years, and then I take one year and 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 have a little bit of headache, and then I'm good for another four years. So I wouldn't intentionally break that cycle in the middle of it. But I agree with you 100. percent Nothing really has gone wrong, save one major my problem with my Wi-Fi, and I don't even know that that's Ubuntu's problem. I kind of suspect it's a problem with my computer. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's always those kinds of things. Um, I, I was like, because I was installing the Bonobo, I was like, what is going on? And I. I did a Google search on the air message I was getting when I was booting up. It was like, and the one guy on, on Ask Ubuntu was like, yeah, I just used a different USB port and that fixed it. And I'm like, no way it's that simple. And that fixed it. Uh, so let's talk about where some of the action is. So Ubuntu 15.10 also makes for a great base for some derivatives uh, from some different flavors, if you will. Ubuntu 15.10 is shipping with Plasma 5.4. And a lot of the buzz around this is this is a very solid implementation of the KDE Plasma desktop. And uh, I have been getting comments from guys that say something along the lines of, I've been a Kubuntu user for years, and this is one of the best releases I've ever seen. So Kubuntu 15.10 is getting a lot of positive buzz. GNOME 15.10 is also out of the Ubuntu flavor. This includes GNOME 3.16, which, in my opinion, is a bit of a bummer, since GNOME 3.18 is out and running on two machines we have right here in the room with me. Uh, so GNOME 3.16 is a bit of a bummer, but GNOME 3.16 is still a pretty good release, and now you can get an Ubuntu flavor of it. That's nice. And it's also been updated to Blue Z5, which is nice for you Bluetooth users. Ubuntu 15.10 is out with a good-looking LXDE desktop, uh, as well as Ubuntu Kylin or Kalin, and Zubuntu 15.10 with new apps like the XFC panel switch, a small tool that lets you save, restore, and switch between various different panel layouts. There's also a new version of Core's Ubuntu apps, including Catfish, Mugshot, and the G Music browser. And then, last but not least, our friends over at the Ubuntu Mate project, uh, 15.10 ships with Ubuntu Mate Desktop 1.10 with plenty of nice improvements, a good welcome screen. Uh, new apps and utilities include a welcome screen tool offering tips and suggestions, tools for switching between GPUs on NVIDIA Prime hardware. Uh, and and the uh, Ubuntu Mate project also is rolling out Ubuntu Mate for the Raspberry Pi 2, uh, which looks really cool. We're hopefully going to pick uh, Wimpy's brain about this um, on uh, Linux Unplugged this coming week, but this looks really cool, Noah. It's the full Mate desktop right there on a Raspberry Pi. Now that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave everyone's imagination to, to what I think about uh, Ubuntu Mate. Yeah, yeah, I know you loves it. You loves it. 
So uh, there's a lot of action in the different flavors that all, you know, like Kubuntu coming with Plasma 5.4. It's a huge upgrade for Kubuntu. Uh, Ubuntu Mate Edition is getting some really nice features. I think there's a lot of innovation in the desktop there with that distribution. If you are, if you love the glory days of of the desktop, these desktop these desktops are very much still going following that paradigm. And here's why I bring that up right now is because this 15.10 release to me feels a lot like getting everything kind of circled in, getting everything kind of stabilized, slowing things down because pretty soon it's Unity 8 time. And in fact. Mm-hmm. Right now, in this version of Ubuntu 15.10, you can actually start playing with the Unity 8 desktop in a Linux container. And uh, I have linked in the show notes a way to do this, to get Linux, to get Unity 8 on your Ubuntu installation, and then it just becomes an option at your LightDM login screen. And it logs in, and it uses Mir. It contains all of it in a container, so it doesn't mess up the rest of your system. And you can start playing with Unity 8 right now. It's not production ready, but you can start to do it. This is getting really close. We're actually getting there. And so th- this, this very nice desktop that has very little changes is going to look like a bygone era soon. You know what I mean, Noah? Like this is going to be, the LTSs are going to be around, but there's these, these releases, when we start going to Unity 8, it's going to be a whole new game. It's going to be a whole new desktop, yeah. whole bunch of uh, growing pains, I, I, I estimate. I, I think. can't say I'm excited for that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I mean, here's okay. I'll, you know, here's the thing. I'll just I'll uh, I'll come clean. If we get to a point where the where Ubuntu strays from its solid and stable, and I can just kind of fall back to it, and I can just set it up once and forget about it. If that if we change from that, if we go away from that, I can't use Ubuntu anymore because that really. Uh, aside from the fact that it is a it is I feel like it's a polished desktop right out of the right out of the gate I don't have to tweak a bunch of stuff to make it work I don't have to install a bunch of extensions that are then going to break when when something updates if I don't configure something differently if if I can't just install it for somebody and just leave it alone and they're going to continue to have a bunch of issues and problems because things are changing constantly I will go to a different distro for for those kinds of use cases and for me personally I've kind of you've kind of got me on board at least on my personal machine, um, with Arch, because if if only because of the software availability, and Andy every program makes it I really ever easy. Imagine, yeah, and, every you know, program reloading. I could ever imagine, I just install it. Yeah, and and you can get up and going super quick again with Anagros, so it's not a huge installation process. Now, here is what I here's what I estimate. This has sort of been true for the last few releases. There's nothing groundbreaking and new in Ubuntu that if you're not already convinced, I don't think there's something here that's going to convince you that didn't convince you before. Nothing's really changed. At that level, if you are buying into what they're doing now, though, this is reiterating on all of the stuff you like. I mean, it really is a nice, solid iteration. If I had been betting my my horse on just a nice, continual, steady evolution of a Unity for a few years, uh, I'd be really happy with that payoff right now. That's not the that's mm-hmm. not the that's not the desktop experience I look for, um, mm-hmm. but it is genuinely a nice approach, and I'm. I'm actually kind of glad they're doing it this way before they switch over because it sounds like people like you who like that approach might lose their S for a little bit and you're going to be happy to have 1510 to hang out on for a while or 1404 or whatever, whatever you're going to use. Mm, I don't. Yeah, but the, yeah, but here's the problem. The very next release we have is an LTS. I bet they'll leave it around for a while. Dual, you know, I bet there's going to be dual logins for quite a while. 
Yeah, well, but, so and here's the thing: if I can, as long as I have a way to continue to use LTS, and they can, yeah. they can take five years to suss this out. Yeah, by all means, go right yeah. ahead. I don't want the desktop to stop moving forward. I just want the majority of the changes and the majority of playing around to happen right. on distros like Arch and leave my LTS alone because it creates headaches for me. I think you're going to see a, and I, you think you're going to see a dual login approach. I bet, I you know, I bet for that LTS, I bet you a Unity eight is my bet is not even default. Unity 8 is going to be available okay. as a login option, but I bet you it's not even the default desktop. And then suckers yeah, like me, when we that. run it, that's what we'll be using. Because, you know, that's what we've got to do. I, listen, I think that's a great compromise. So the, the general approach to the Ubuntu desktop does seem to be it, it may, lending itself pretty much to a worker's workstation OS. You know, a modern mm -hmm. worker's workstation OS that you can count on for at least nine months. And let's be honest, if you're doing a lot of development or something like that, you can walk a line. Sometimes some of us, we hate to reload our machine all the time. And some of us, after nine months, we gunk it up so bad we don't mind reloading it. But one of the things that got an update in this version of Ubuntu 15.10 is Ubuntu Make, which is a command line utility that makes installing popular developer tools easier on Ubuntu and now supports more platforms and frameworks, including the full Android development environment. This is a big deal because it's essentially the pitch to developers is you can get your hipster laptop or go get yourself a nice Intel-powered rig, you know, from, from another vendor. Install this Ubuntu 15.10 thing. And with a couple of commands on the command line, you have an entire web development environment set up, or you have an entire Android development environment set up, which is a major pain in the ass, especially if you are a new user switching to Ubuntu, coming from Windows, you want to try something, this is a huge hurdle. Figuring out how to install Android uh, development to, uh, tools like the Android Studio and things like that have been a process for people. Even if it's not a major process for some of us, it's been a major process for them. I love that fact that Ubuntu Make is including some of these things, it's just Ubuntu make command, a couple other commands, and it sets up the whole environment for you. So that's nice. And I got an update with this as well. So that combined with GCC5 and the Python updates, Ubuntu make seems like a pretty solid desktop for, uh, for developers as well. So Noah, is there anything else we want to touch on in this uh, review of Ubuntu 15.10? No, I, you know, the, I, I stand by the, the kind of what you said earlier. I guess really expanding on what you said earlier is it's kind of designed as, as a general purpose ready to go workstation OS. And if you're, if you've ever thought about getting into Linux and you're, you're not sure where to start, you're not sure which distro to pick, I think 1510, it fits that bill yeah. of when we recommend people start with a bunch at least I do. Yeah. Um, that I, I think 1510 fits right in there. And I, I think they did a really great job of adding just enough new stuff to keep things current. And at the same time, uh, Oh, there is one big thing that changed. Yeah. <clears throat> big, big thing that changed. What? Um, virtual box comes with, uh, four dot. I don't want to say it because I'm gonna get it wrong. But the 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 uh, my fourteen oh four install had four dot three dot ten, and that doesn't include guest editions for mm. Windows okay. ten. Oh, oh, and so oh, with okay. fifteen ten, you get the newest version of VirtualBox, mm. and you get guest editions, so you can actually do uh, full screen Windows ten, which uh, might be important. That to could be people. that could be very. There you go. And you know what else is? I think I have that um, and a bunch of other nitty de gritty details about changes in this release, uh, all busted out in the show notes, as well as links to get uh, Unity uh, 8 installed. Last but not least, you know, no, we were talking about how it makes a good workstation for people who just want a kind of consistent desktop experience that feels modern, people that are maybe developers and want a workstation, sysops, that kind of stuff. You know, also, to me, this seems to be the go-to uh, distro to recommend for gaming. I, I know you, a lot of people might think it's the LTS or something like that, but I think it's I think it's this one, something that has modern hardware support, I think is kind of key. The new kernel does that. I could hear it right there. It is. There's the right one. The new kernel has modern hardware support. You know, with uh, 1510, it's really easy to get the Steam controller working. And 
in one click, you know, I have the NVIDIA kernel, uh, I have the, the binary driver for the kernel, it's a ver the driver's version uh, 352.41. So it's NVIDIA kernel uh, uh, driver 352, one checkbox, really easy for gamers. I, I Also, the Nuvu driver worked just fine for a while, but uh, for some of the things we need for in-studio capture, I had to load the NVIDIA proprietary driver. And the process mm -hmm. is very simple and straightforward. Uh, one tip would be, uh, if you have HDMI devices, disconnect them while you're doing the installation. Sometimes the installer just freaks out if you have multiple HDMI devices hooked up. Just saying, I noticed that. All right, Noah, that's the Linux Action Show's look and review at Ubuntu 15.10. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, we're going to cover a little bit of feedback. And our first one comes in from TUN. Really, that's what it says. Uh, about SS SSH key management. Says, Hello, I recently watched your latest episode on password management and was wondering if there is any software to manage my private as well as public SSH keys. It would be great if the software could also manage my PGP keys. Thanks and keep up the good work. Noah, do you have something in your tool bag for this? I actually, you know what? I have nothing, and uh, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping you would. Um, <laughs> basically, I manage all of my keys now on on my YubiKey is what I use to secure everything. So I actually don't have uh, any real solution to key management for PGB because I don't have a use for it. Well, I don't have a really interesting answer, but I do have an answer for you, and it's really uh, it's something that I've I've picked. I guess I, the best way to say is this is the one I keep end up going going back to over and over again. And it's just simply GNOME Keyring Manager. And I don't know if I have it installed out here in the studio. Uh, I don't think I do. And it's not installed by default on the GNOME desktop. But you can get it installed. And it's really easy and straightforward. Uh, and I can't remember exactly the name of it. But it's like Keyring or Passwords. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. Passwords and Keys. It is installed by default. It's Password and Keys in the GNOME desktop. And... I, I, I wanted to have a, like a, this is my really cool high-tech solution for this, but to be honest with you, Noah, I've never had a reason not to use this. And in fact, every time I've kind of uh, gone away from it, I end up coming back to it because A, it's really easy to get going on any machine that has GNOME, mm -hmm. and, and B, it's straightforward enough that uh, it works for me. Now, of course, you have KWallet on the KDE desktop, and you have a bunch of other options. Uh, but the other thing that I like about uh, the GNOME Keyring Manager, or I'm sorry, Password and Keys, I think it's called now, is um, it gets locked and unlocked if I automat if I log in at GDM or with my user session with an interactive password or interactive authentication, it automatically unlocks access to part of this for me. If I use automatic login on a machine, it automatically locks this, so it can't be opened by anybody just walking up to the machine. So it's smart about it knows if you have automatic login or not, which is kind of a neat feature. Mm. But I bet you there's a whole bunch of different options. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Yeah. Jam O writes in with Collaborative Document Server, and he says mm. Collaborative Documents Hackpad has been acquired by Dropbox and open sourced, and then he gives the link for the GitHub account. Hackpad is based on Etherpad. Try it at hackpad.com before installing it on a droplet. Some hot OSM uh, collaborators have recommended it to me. Now, Chris, I know that you are constantly searching for uh, collaborative document editing replacements for Google Docs. I was wondering if you have heard about this and if you've given it any thought as to how practical of a solution it might be. So uh, I have, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've actually ever tested Hackpad itself, but I would be, I would be not very surprised. I guess should, I should say to learn that this is probably what's powering Dropbox's latest project called Paper, which is a collaborative editor. And so I'm guessing that they've taken Hackpad and created Paper from it. So they're going to have a commercial offering around this very soon. Uh, Hackpad is something that I've looked at. Etherpad, I think, is some, some might be somewhat similar to this. 
Um, I haven't actually tried this one in production yet. I would love to know if it has Markdown support too. Hackpad, oh yeah, it says right there, sorry, Hackpad is based on Etherpad, yeah. Um, which Etherpad I have used, and Etherpad is great. So I would have a lot of high hopes for Hackpad as well. And I don't know, you think maybe we should throw it on a drop, a droplet and give it a try? I think it'd be really fun to do a, do a show in, uh, in, in something like this and see how it works out. Because the, the only real way you're really going to know if it's going to work or not is to try it. Well, there's that. And honestly, uh, if this is what paper is going to be based on, then I hope, I hope that they keep it going. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Like, the idea would be that if, if Dropbox deploys this paper uh, product and they continue to contribute to Hackpad, this could be a great open source uh, project that just continues to get developed on. All right, I wanted mm-hmm. to call out uh, a special attention to a couple of threads in our subreddit. Uh, Night Ranger, in all capitals, uh, with uh, caps lock set to extreme mode, has posted his thoughts on the Valve Stream Controller from a Linux user. Now, the post isn't in caps, but just the title. It's actually a really great write-up of the controller. Because uh, he spent some serious time playing different games and the, the different options for it and getting it set up. It was a very, very, very long post. And uh, if you are seriously considering the controller and want to just nerd out on somebody's opinions as a Linux user, definitely worth a read. And then, oh, uh, this is a personal plug. Uh, Dorma Korea, I think is how you, or Via says, uh, he's going off grid with no internet at home. And no, this guy kind of sounds like you. He got in a spat with his ISP. And so mm-hmm. he just said, screw it. I'm canceling my service. And now he's like, well, I was going to go across the street and go get a service from the other ISP because uh, I got a good old duopoly in his neck of the woods. But then he thought about it after listening to Tech Talk today, oops, and decided maybe I'll try going without internet for a little bit. So he's looking for people's uh, tips for going off the grid uh, with Linux. We've talked about this a little bit before on the show. It's a particular interest of mine, too. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and I think for entertainment, I think you can get a lot of distance offline. The problem for people like you or me is, well, you need the internet to make a living. So that's not really an option. And then for people like me, I also have to have access to the internet to do my job. And no matter how creative I am, no matter how smart I am, or no matter how much money I spend, I will never, I don't think, be able to invent a solution that allows me to be off the grid and connected at the same time. So I'm going to make it happen, I'm going to make it happen. Okay, all right, all right. I'm going to make it happen one MiFi device and battery drain down at a time. Boom, it's going to happen, Noah. You but doubt. you're connected, though. Yeah, well, that is true. But, well, connected for periods of time. I, I don't know, Noah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we yeah, actually, that, we, yeah, that would work. I talked about in the episode of Tech Talk today that he's referring to, I talked about uh, a Debian developer who uh, lives off the grid but then dials up from time to time and uses, like, RSS to email and a bunch of other tools to essentially live the offline life. So that's where the that's where the topic came up from. Uh, and also, I'll give a plug. I guess I'll give another plug for Tech Talk today. I recorded an episode today with uh, Benjamin, and he is the developer, one of the people behind the Glucosio app, an open source uh, diabetes testing app that is uh, anonymously crowdsourcing the data that gets generated to help uh, researchers do large large data collection. So Benjamin Crincia joined me on Tech Talk today talk about his new project and the open source foundation around it and structure of that and uh, it's a pretty cool effort i was on episode uh, 220 of uh, tech talk today no is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here today follow me on twitter at kernel linux and you're at chris las thank you sir that's right i want to hit i want to actually i do i want to say a huge thank you to uh everyone that wrote into the show this week uh, by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com clicking the contact link and choosing Ju- uh, the linux action show from the Hey-o. drop down menu I asked people to keep uh, those emails brief and to the point. And man, you guys like 
I actually got to read most of the emails this week. I make it a point to like at least look at every piece of email that ever comes into the show, but to read like in depth, start to finish. I just sometimes some weeks I just don't have time to do it. And this week, like almost all the email that came in was, you know, at 10 lines at best. And hmm. it was super appreciated. Nice and and so thank you very, very much. Really good quality content and very concise and very brief. Nice. Unlike us, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Go over there to uh, submit stories, projects, and uh, also a great place to leave a very non-brief piece of feedback if you just want the community to read it. So if you do want to write something long, that is a great spot to do that because that's where people go to sometimes sit back and do some long reading. Linuxactionshow.reddit.com, projects, uh, open source applications, news stories, your votes, your comments, all of that are very much appreciated jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar is where you go to find the live times of the show we do it on fridays 3 p.m pacific but the calendar will automatically convert that for you and we do it at jblive.tv okay everybody well thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the linux action show and we'll see you right back here next week Uh, uh, uh. Oh man! No, Christmas. stop! I know. I'm stop. sorry. I, I don't. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know why it's happening. You know, stop quickly. It happened when I started cooking something that smells like something I cook around the holidays. And now, oh, stop cooking. Stop eating if you need to. But I know, stop dude. singing Christmas songs. I know. Song. I know, dude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah.